you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, we are continuing a series uh, from a letter uh, from the general of the OCDS, that's the Discoused uh, Community of Carmelite, uh, the Seculars, and we've been covering uh, that message around uh, both prayer and evangelization, the mission of Carmel, as it regards the secular community most especially. And uh, Francis, uh, uh, who joins me in the studio each week, Francis, I'm looking forward this week because we're going to add to that the message of our own Holy Father uh, that was written specifically to the Carmelite community. Yes, I think that came out and uh, really complements our discussion, so um, we'll... Uh, really benefit from discussing that tonight. Of course, the Holy Father's been saying a lot lately, yes. and maybe we'll <laughs> yes. spend some time talking about that. Uh, let us begin each week as we do in prayer. Francis, would you lead us in prayer? Yes, and I've chosen this from actually a poem that St. Teresa of Avila wrote. It's from the volume three of the collected works of St. Teresa of Avila, and it's called In the Hands of God. And I'm just going to do a couple of the stanzas here, uh, but I think it is a beautiful prayer. So that's the way we're going to um, proclaim it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I am yours and born for you. What do you want of me? Majestic sovereign, unending wisdom, kindness pleasing to my soul. God sublime, one being good. Behold this one so vile, singing of her love to you. What do you want of me? Yours you made me. Yours you saved me. Yours you endured me. Yours you called me. Yours you awaited me. Yours I did not stray. What do you want of me? Good Lord, what do you want of me? What is this wretch to do? What work is this, this sinful slave, to do? Look at me, sweet love. Sweet love, look at me. What do you want of me? In your hand I place my heart, body, life, and soul, deep feelings and affections mine, spouse, redeemer sweet, Myself offered now to you, what do you want of me? Yours I am, for you I was born. What do you want of me? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. Uh, We actually left off, I think, last week, although I'd like to cover maybe just a few uh, moments of this um, section that we left off in, in the letter by Father, I'm going to let Debastiani is what Debastian. I think, but I could be wrong. No, I think you're quite right, and you say it better than I do. That's why I defer to you on this. Uh, but he was talking about the importance of community. I do just want to share with our listeners, we receive a number of uh, emails and have on occasion received um, uh, written letters uh, to Francis and myself regarding uh, interest in the program. We always value those and appreciate those. We received a letter recently uh, from an individual who talked about uh, this uh, idea of the sense of community and the feeling that uh, just listening to the conversation, Francis, that we have every week, uh, help this person enter into a sense of community. Isn't that awesome? Um, even though that person uh, may be in a, in a somewhat isolated environment and, and not able in all case, uh, occasions to interact with other uh, members of a Carmelite community, um, just participating in this 
uh, forum uh, led them to feel like they were part of a community. Praise and I God. know we've talked about that, Francis. It's something we very much want to sort of engender is this idea of community. Um, this started, as you recall, uh, with you and I uh, just literally having coffee uh, conversations about uh, what was going on in community and mm -hmm. wanting to um, extend that and prepare ourselves each week or, or month. Uh, for meetings and so forth and just sharing our own perspectives. And then um, it was overheard one day by somebody from uh, Radio Maria, and they said that would be a great idea for a radio show, a radio program. So uh, that's really what led to this. And so we don't ever want to miss that sense of community. Um, certainly our callers, our occasional callers are part of that. But there are other ways that folks can get in touch with us, uh, Francis, and how is that? Well, we have a Facebook page called Carmelite Conversations, so just do your search on Facebook for Carmelite Conversations. And then you can also email us at carmelite.conversations at yahoo.com. And you have to do a capital C for Carmelite on that one. So Carmelite with a capital C dot conversations with a little c at yahoo.com and so we do appreciate when you get in touch with us and ask for i uh suggestions or i have gotten several requests about where to find ocds communities so um you know and, and as you talk about community march I'm, I'm thinking well you know we have this radio maria family that is mm, a community family absolutely. is community and then of course just the people who who are particularly interested in this program karma like say conversations is another community and so it, it's great to have all these um, ways to be involved and so we want to thank you all for your support and we do like to hear from you so well I, I want to say that um, as I did a moment ago the Holy Father has been making a number of uh, I think very profound statements and it's causing frankly to be very open about it uh, a lot of conversation yes. in, in the church, <laughs> which I think in and of itself is good. Yes. But it is leading a number of people to to um, uh, ask questions about what the Holy Father means. And I know, Francis, that you had occasion to call the Holy Father this past week. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and, and have a conversation with him to clarify. Uh, on that spiritual golden telephone that reaches right to heaven and to the Vatican. <laughs> so I know if any of our listeners have a question about what he's been saying, that you'll be prepared to answer it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come but, Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the important uh, aspects of being able to wrestle with um, the, the dynamics that are going on in our church and in our world is this idea of community. For Teresa, that was very important. She, um, in fact, as much as said, to gather with friends for mutual help, spiritual growth. That's the idea of community that she had in mind. And for her, certainly it began and it's centered around prayer, but it was also just the opportunity to enter into conversation with people who may already have experienced uh, some of the bumps along the road of the spiritual journey or may be in them at that time. Uh, and we all wrestle, you know, we all have different perspectives that we enter the spiritual journey with, and God works with each individual soul in a very unique way. There's no sort of deliberate roadmap that everybody will go down. We all come right. at this from a different perspective. Yeah, unique. Yeah, and for Teresa, one of the important aspects of this community was diversity. 
right? Right. Male and female, different ages, different backgrounds, and so forth. That was important to her. Um, you were obviously... Especially as far as the lay community. I exactly. mean, you know, with, yeah. with our cloistered, of course, it's the nuns alone and the friars alone, but they right. interact. You know, they get teaching from each other. Right. But, Francis, I'm going to ask you if you would, because you had so much to do both with the Cincinnati community, uh, uh, secular community, which you were a member of for years, and then in the establishment now and continued growth uh, of the of the community that we're part of here in Dayton. Fr- uh, Francis is the president of that community, which he hates to have me say, but <laughs> I think it, it, it's worth saying here because uh, you were uh, obviously at the forefront of establishing that. There are a couple of key elements, I think, that contributed and continue to contribute to our success when it comes to community. I've said the first one, it's the easy one, that's prayer. Yes. What other things, and maybe it's based on even the trials and struggles that I know you faced in bringing our community together, not unlike uh, our Holy Mother, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, faced in the establishment of her foundations. But what do you think are the keys to building that sense of community? Well, we have to have a common spiritual goal. And by focusing on the Carmelite spirituality and getting formed in that through the readings of Teresa, Therese, and John, uh, that also, um, you know, of course, after prayer, you know, pray, 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 <laughs> more, more, more prayer. Uh, but yes, being formed. So we have to be educated. We have to learn. And so a great component of community is be able to talk about the spiritual life be able to hear about somebody else's journey to um, be able to see how god is working in that soul because that gives you light on your own journey and sometimes it's easier to see how god's working in somebody else's life than in your own Mm -hmm. and so having this conversation uh gives us feedback back and forth and and then everybody prospers so this the spirit of coming together sharing together being open to um, our woundedness, are open to suggestions on how to grow, how to overcome obstacles, how to persevere, uh, be determined, um, and, and it takes effort. And so, you know, I think when we're in it together, you know, we can cheerlead each other through it because, you know, some people are readers, you know, Mark and I mm-hmm. are, are readers. We love to read. Um Others are not so much into the uh, reading. Others get more from just the conversation. Right, uh, right. Others more from, quite frankly, uh, the contemplative experience. Yes. Uh, and intimacy with God. But even there, it's important to have someone who you can sort of bounce ideas off of and, and you know, uh, reflect on um, what may be a particular obstacle for you. You know, a f- um, Teresa, I was about to say uh, Francis, and I meant to say Teresa. That's a good sign. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mark. I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> in, in a couple of different writings, she brings out this list of um, virtues, if you will, that she thinks are important to forming this culture of community. And Francis just went over some of them, but I'll add to that list gentleness. Very important. You know, we, we read this in uh, in the office. It comes up about once a month, the need for um, gentleness and kindness. These are important virtues when it comes to entering into community, as you say, revealing ourselves in our inevitable woundedness. We've all experienced mm-hmm. that as part of the human experience. And we need to be vulnerable to each other to some extent if we're going to be able to sort of expose that and deal with it. Yeah, the honesty and the truth. You know, we got to stand in the truth. You know, I read something very interesting, just a sidebar one second. 
Um, this was actually from a Protestant tradition, but a woman who had suffered from depression for many, many years. Her, she herself was a minister, but she had suffered, she said, from depression for over 25 years and would literally go out and minister to other people and then would go back to her house and, and, and suffered just this terrible, overriding sense of inadequacy and, and uh, unworthiness and so forth. And uh, thankfully, her husband uh, counseled her to go and um, uh, get back into the Bible and get back into uh, a form of meditative prayer. Um, and she did so very actively. She stopped being so active in her external ministry and began to focus on her interior growth uh, and was eventually able to overcome all of this and become a much more effective minister. But it relies on a gentleness, on kindness, on prudence, uh, another word that uh, that uh, Teresa of, uh, of Avila brings out, on discretion, uh, on simplicity, and on joy. Yes. On joy. Oh, realizing, absolutely. You know, as much as we talk about, Francis, sometimes the difficulties inherent in the spiritual journey, we have to understand this is what we're called to as human beings. This is why we were created for intimacy with God. And the spiritual journey, as rugged and ragged and as many switchbacks as there can be on that journey from time to time, um, it is an experience of joy. It is the realization and, and real joy, not the kind of joy we get from winning the lottery, right? Mm-hmm. Which is temporary. Yeah. Uh, but it's the real kind of joy that is everlasting and the realization, I'm actually doing what God created me to do. I'm mm-hmm. finding intimacy with him. I'm growing. I'm maturing as a human being. I'm sacrificing. I'm suffering on occasion, but I'm suffering in love and therefore... Uh, that leads to joy. And that has to be part of that experience of community. Now, there's one major word that's missing here, and of course, Teresa would, would counsel us consistently uh, to focus on this word, which begins with an H. And mm-hmm. I know you know what it is. Mm-hmm. What's her number one virtue in the spiritual journey? Humility. Humility. <laughs> I knew you knew it. I knew you knew it. Yes, that's yes, the one yes. that's, it's not in this uh, writing from uh, Father De Bastiani, but we do need to remember humility in all of what we've just said. Right. And it, it is most important in community, isn't it? I mean, when we come together uh, our, ourselves, even on a monthly basis, you know, there are inevitably uh, things that we'll struggle with through that process. And so humility is always very important, most especially in our relationship with the Lord, humility. Right. And we got to remember the the best example of community is the Trinity and the Holy Family. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so take exactly. it from there and go to the top. <laughs> well, from this community, of course, we've talked about uh, prayer a little bit, but this next section in Father uh, De Bastiani's letter talks specifically about the fruits of prayer. Um, this is titled Apostolic Activity is the Fruit of Prayer. So, again, um, in Carmel, Francis, we have our charism of contemplative prayer, but most especially us seculars also have this apostolic element. We are apostolic contemplatives, and because we live in the world, because we have a presence in the world, the fruit of our prayer must um, bear itself into community and into our daily lives. Yes. Um, and, and I want you to talk just a little bit about that with regard to what 
uh, Teresa of Avila was saying to us in terms of, now she said it, of course, to cloister duns, although many who were active with her in, in the establishment of the foundation, so they were in the world. But I think most especially to us, she would have a, a message about what we need to do in carrying uh, the fruit of our contemplative prayer into the world. Well, I, I think it goes from just that little phrase, what do you want of me? Mm. You know, because as laity, as seculars, we are in the world. So to try to live like we're in the cloister or in the monastery is is not good. That's not the reality of our situation. We are in the world. And in fact, we can be that mustard seed in the world or that leaven in the world to to help things improve by taking um, Christ with us into the fiber of our life, which is our work world, our, the schools, the, you know, all the community activities, of course, the church, um, but not to be um, trying to be religious in the world, but but be lovers of God in right. the world. We are seculars, but we love God. And that's what we have in, in common with all the religious is that we love God and and Christ and and the Blessed Mother. And we want to grow in our love of God and love of neighbor. So um, it is being who we are and responding to God's call in the daily moments of our life. So living those virtues in each of the threads of our life. Yeah, I think you just said something that's critically important, and that is being who we are. You know, people begin this spiritual journey, and and there are two um, uh, pitfalls to what I'm about to say. They start to think, um, well, I've, I've got to fundamentally change who I am. I've got to maybe change my voice, right? I've got to have a, ge- a more gentle voice. Or, gosh, now there are certain things that uh, I can do and can't do. And, you know, I have to fundamentally change who I am. And if, and if you've been leading a sinful life, that would be true. Absolutely. But, but if you're talking about um, sort of the, the day-to-day ins and outs of holiness, uh, two things. One we, we need to be careful not to think that we will do that changing. That's mm-hmm. first, right? This is an interior change. And we have to cooperate, but it, God's in charge. <laughs> right. And then we have to be careful. God wants us to be who we are. He just wants us to be the fullest expression of who we are. Mm-hmm. So our occupation, unless he gives us a dramatic uh, indication that he wants us to change that, our vocation as relates uh, parent or spouse or... Uh, Sister, cousin, Yeah, whatever it might be. Those remain the same. What's different is this fruit of the Spirit. You know, we talked about this last week, Francis, when we discussed how Mary going to visit Elizabeth didn't need to say much before Elizabeth immediately recognized the presence of Christ within her. Yes, right? isn't that it's a... such a great story? I think. Yes, I mean, just, just it's, it's like she radiated Christ before he was even born, and that's so true of people who are in love with God, yeah. who are in love with Jesus, who are in allegiance to Jesus, who are, are living the gospel life. You can sense it. They don't have to say a word. It's just their manner. Right. And the other story I think that fits nicely in this idea of apostolic activity is the reception of those who are also carrying Christ. And a good analogy to this, this, I think, is the presentation at the temple, where Simeon recognized the 
the Christ child for who he was. Why? What does Scripture tell us? Simeon had spent, you know, uh, his latter years in prayer and fasting and preparation for the receiving of Christ, and he had been promised that he would see the Savior before his own death. But there was a life, if you will, uh, a good portion of a life, spent waiting, watching, Scripture tells us, watching in prayer, waiting, fasting in his case, staying outside the temple, which for him was his cell, if you will, Mm -hmm. and that prepared him as it uh, apparently did not so many others who would have been at the temple that day. Mm -hmm. He was prepared to recognize Christ. He saw Christ Ah. coming to the temple, right? And this, again, is this fruit of our spiritual life, of our interior life, helps us to see Christ coming in our life, and helps us in the case of Mary as our model to be Christ to other people. They don't necessarily have to hear us speak. They don't have to uh, necessarily witness the activities that we're involved in, though that may be the way that they recognize Christ. But we just carry Christ. How many people have you met and you know, I know many of them, they're in Carmel, who you just look at and you spend very little time with and you just say, that person radiates Christ. That person has something you know we mm-hmm. we we know these people um i i should share just quickly on the, the way here i had a conversation with one of our friends of the program a deacon rusty baldwin and i told him he asked me actually what the, uh, the conversation was going to be about and i um, explained it to him and he said well make sure to emphasize this idea of zeal for souls yes that absolutely. we hear about right now you mentioned zeal last week yes when when um we were talking just briefly about elijah yes uh, that, say, say that again I yeah think the motto important. it's the motto for the carmelite secular shield um or, or for all the carmelites it's with zeal have i been zealous for the lord god of hosts and this is that you know your love is so effusive so overwhelming because it's the love of god acting in you that you want all to be saved and so you know that really leads into the identity of our lay vocation is to build holiness in the world. That's what Father De, De, De Bastiani said. He said the Teresian, the identity of the lay vocation in the Teresian Carmel is to build holiness in the world. And we can do it in ways that the, our cloistered nuns and our friars are not able to. Because we're there in the work world or we're there in the homes with all the children or, you know, wherever. And um, so, so this is so wonderful. And, you know, the true lover of God, this is what Teresa says, the true lover loves everywhere and is always thinking of the beloved. And that's from the book of her foundations. So yes, whether you're having entertainment, whether you're uh, watching a sports activity, whether you're working in the garden, whether you're working uh, in an office, whether you're um, helping out at a food pantry, wherever you are, in the fiber of your being, in the details of your life, God is present. And if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we will see him. It's not just, it's not just learning about who Jesus is. It's living Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's living his life. It's living it by entering into that experience of Christ through contemplative prayer. Yes. You know, this is the balance, I think, that we're trying to strike, Francis, in this brief series that we're doing uh, on this letter. And I want to bring Pope Francis's encouragement, he calls it, uh, to the Carmelite order um, uh, into this conversation as well. But just to reiterate, it's this idea that we have to begin, as St. Teresa of Avila told us, in contemplative prayer, in the experience of contemplative prayer, in community, 
with a, with a group of faithful believers, and the fruit of that activity of both prayer and community then blossoms into our interaction and our interrelations with the world. And as you said, be witnesses to the holiness that is resident in that relationship with Christ in the world. Great theme. I want to pick up on that when we come back. And I also want to go uh, to this letter from the Holy Father, which was written specifically to the Carmelite Order, uh, some very powerful messages and challenges that he has for us. And we'll do that as soon as we come back. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. How beautiful the hands that served The wine and the bread And the songs of the earth How beautiful the feet that walked The long dusty roads and the hill to the cross How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the How beautiful the heart that bled, that took all my sin and bore it instead. How beautiful the tender eyes that choose to forgive and never despise. How The sound of good 
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We are um, covering a letter from the general of the... General delegate. General delegate, right. Thanks for correcting me on that, because I think I said it wrong at the beginning of the program as well, uh, of the secular order, OCDS, the secular order of discalced Carmelites, Father DeBastiani. How am I doing? (laughs) I think it's rolling off your tongue pretty (laughs) good now. (laughs) Uh, Must be the holy water we're drinking. You know, while we were on break, though, we were talking about two other things that were exciting us about today. Um, I, in particular, don't want any of our listeners to forget that we are on day two of the novena to St. Therese, the little flower. So I hope you will join us in praying, because all of our Carmelites um, in this area are... are, helping us out with this. And if you want to find a, a good novena to St. Therese, there's several out there, uh, but this is the little flower. Uh, we refer to her as Therese to keep her separate from Teresa of Avila. So, you know, that's why we're going to keep calling her Therese. Um, but EWTN.com has a, um, a novena of hers that is, is very beautiful and powerful. So anyway, we're on day two, so it's not too late to begin. Um, and so I invite you to join us with Therese. And one of the most powerful novenas in the church, I think we could agree. And, that, and that's on the basis of people who have uh, prayed this prayer now for uh, 90 years, I guess, some, uh-huh. some 90 years, or prayed to uh, Therese, um, and the, the benefits accrued from um, her intercession is just so powerful. I mean, arguably one of the most popular saints uh, of our time. Yeah, she's known as the one of the greatest saints of modern time. But you know, she's her mission was to to uh, spend her heaven doing good on earth. Mm. Now that links us to another thing that's going on today uh, about who's waiting outside the pearly gates for all of his spiritual children to come in. And, and another very powerful saint, of course. Today is the feast day of. Pius, uh, he's called Pius of. I won't try the Italian name, but we know him as Padre Pio of Petrosina. Petrosina, okay. Um, and and uh, this is his feast day. A very special saint, of course, in our church. Uh, such a powerful saint, and really uh, had quite a significant influence here in America mm-hmm. because of his uh, exposure to American servicemen during right, World War exactly. II, uh, where many miracles were wrought. You can you can read. Uh, the history of his um, intervention so many times in the benefit of American servicemen who um, who were in Europe throughout uh, World War II, uh, but but for many years beyond that, of course, a very powerful saint. Yeah, and he he's Franciscan. I mean, he, he is not the Carmelite, but we love him. Oh, we love him very much, <laughs> I yeah. think you would love him too, all of you who are listening. <laughs> And, and such a, spow- a powerful message. You know, we uh, just mentioned in the break also, Francis, that we both enjoy copies of his letters of spiritual direction. Yes. These are letters that he wrote to folks who he was guiding in spiritual direction, as well as his own letters that right. were written in his... To his own spiritual director. His own spiritual director and, and the direction that he received. Um, those letters, I don't have all the details, but I know they can be found at the National Shrine of Padre Pio, which is in Pennsylvania. At least the stateside one. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, you, if you get online, you can find that. But they are really terrific. And I think as spiritual directors go, Padre Pio, of course, would be among the greatest. Uh, I did want to just close out this discussion about 
where we are on uh, the call to apostolic work, which stems from both prayer and our involvement in community, Francis. Uh, John Paul II, who we know uh, both wore the scapula and was himself a third order Carmelite, so he was a priest who nonetheless um, was devoted to the Carmelite order. In fact, it's uh, well known that John Paul II, um, Carol Wojtyła, wanted to go and be a Carmelite uh, monk, a Carmelite friar, early on in his career. And he wrote his thesis on St. John of the Cross. He did. He wrote one of his two, actually, PhDs was written on um, the uh, virtue of hope. Uh, I'm sorry, the virtue of faith Faith. in John of the Cross. Yeah, very uh, good. Yeah, very good work. Um, So what did he say? He said, uh, balancing this idea of um, that we've been discussing the need for contemplative prayer and active participation in the world. He cautions us in this way. The temptation of being so strongly interested in church services and tasks that some fail to become actively engaged in their responsibilities in the professional, social, cultural, and political world. And the temptation of legitimizing the unwarranted separation of faith from life. That is a separation of the gospel's acceptance from the actual living of the gospel in various situations in the world. Okay, give examples, Mark. I, I think the Holy Father's giving us some very good examples of exactly this right now. He's saying, listen, let's not divorce ourselves from Christ's very simple and direct message, right? Right. We have a responsibility to demonstrate the mercy of God, that there's hope in the message of the gospel, that there's kindness, that there's compassion, that there's forgiveness, uh, that we look past the sin, not in the sense that we ignore it, but it isn't the central theme of the message of the gospel. The central theme is one of forgiveness. Now, everybody has to come uh, to terms, if you will, with their lives and what it is that they believe God is calling them to individually. And we don't want to get into the details of that. What we want to focus on, what John Paul II was cautioning us on, what the Holy Father, uh, Pope Francis, is calling us to today, is a reiteration of the mercy found in the gospel and the, the love. mercy found in God yeah. the love and the hope uh, that is found in in that uh, experience of this intimate relationship with the Lord which we've said begins in prayer grows and flourishes in community of believers yes and then has to be brought to the world yes and you and know, so we don't want to separate your work world from your prayer world. We we They should be overlapping. They should be blended, integrated. Yeah, you know, so many times I've heard people say, boy, if I could just, you know, um, they, they might say if I could just you know, stop working and go and work for the church, then everything would be great. Um, I, I think they might find that it was other than that. Or they might say, gee, I wish I could just find a balance. And I think oftentimes what they're saying is, if I could just find the right balance and not have to do quite as much in the social and political and you know cultural part of my life, but, but uh, more in the religious part. And I think both the Holy Father today, John Paul II, uh, Father uh, De Bastiani, as well as our Carmelite tradition, would say just the opposite. They'd say, no, the balance is found in becoming in the world what I'll harken back to a book uh, about John Paul II, a message of hope. Right. Right. A, a, an example of hope. And that leads me, actually, Francis, uh, to the message of our Holy Father, Saint Fran- uh, Pope Francis, sorry, um, who wrote specifically to the Carmelite Order now. 
Uh, I don't know if... Yeah, it was on the occasion of their general chapter in 2013. Okay, so it was this year, and I think it was just a few months ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And and it was wonderful of the Holy Father to... uh, September, actually. It was in September. So it was this month he wrote uh, this this letter. Um, But to write specifically to the Carmelite Order, of course, that that gives us uh, a great deal of, um, I won't say pride, but, uh, uh, you know, comfort that he's uh, calling out the Carmelite order in a special way. And he really does call us out, I think, in this letter in a special way. And he challenges us. Of course, this could well be written to the entire Catholic community, Christian community. But he's writing to the Carmelites, and he says uh, specifically, For eight centuries, the ancient charism of Carmel was a gift of the whole church. And still today, it continues to offer its peculiar contribution for the building of the body of Christ and to show the world its luminous and holy face. Exactly as you said, Francis. The Holy Father wrote, Your contemplative origins spring from the land of the epiphany of the eternal love of God in Jesus Christ, word made flesh. So he's telling us that our tradition, our history is, in fact, uh, the very basis from which uh, all of the fruit that still uh, is is uh, nourishing the church and its larger community today stems from. Uh, and, of course, that's uh, the land of Carmel, the Mount of Carmel, where uh, the original hermits, seculars, by the way, um, began this journey in the creation of the Carmelite order. Uh, the Holy Father goes on to say some other, I think, important things to us. Yeah, I I think he's challenging us to make of our life a pilgrimage of loving transformation. Um, And I just thought, oh, that is great. And how do you do that? Well, well, you're being radically dedicated uh, to following Christ. And then, you know, he's asking us to discover again our present vocation to be prophets of hope. I love that phrase. Yeah. I do Say something too. about that. I think that's fantastic. Well, and that makes me think of, you know, St. Elijah and, you know, all that he went through and, you know, standing on the mount and, and you know, waiting for, you know, to to see God pass by and all that that entails to go back into the book of Kings and, and read about that. Uh, so, and, and we need hope in, in our day. And it, it's because people are spiritually hungry. They're starving, in fact, because they're trying to find meaning in their life through, you know, these great jobs, making great money. But it's not, that's not the essence of humanity. You know, the essence of humanity is love, love of God, love of neighbor. That's, that's what it's most important about is relationships. Pope Francis, you know, goes on, he he invites the Carmelites in this uh, letter. He says, this is of vital importance in our world, which is so disoriented. Isn't that so true, Francis? I mean, we hear again in the last couple days this terrible tragedy Mm. in Kenya. Uh, There are conflicting reports, but certainly there are now more than 60 people that have died, 175 people injured. Oh, terrible. Uh, We live in a very disoriented world. And this idea, and that's why I echoed the the thought uh, of the theme, Prophets of Hope. What a wonderful uh, um, call uh, to us in Carmel and a realization both of the the uh, contribution that we can make, but the importance of needing to be, as he says, in close relationship with Christ, which is realized in solitude and in fraternal assembly and in the execution of mission, the yes. fulfilling of mission. This is the theme of this two-part series that we've been doing. We in Carmel are called to this contemplative life, a contemplative experience, but we also are called to mission. We are called to 
mission work. Now, listen, uh, for our listeners, I know uh, some are homebound. Some are restricted in other ways. There may be physical limitations. We're not saying that mission means you have to be out on the sidewalk or you have to be in the church or you have to be out doing uh, work in a food pantry. Yeah, perfect example of who's a very successful missionary that never left her confines of the cloister was St. Therese, the little flower. Exactly. St. Therese, who's um, a novena, of course, we're praying, as Francis mentioned, is still today uh, considered the patron saint of missionaries, Yes, but yet she never left her Carmel. How is this? Well, because she interceded on behalf of those who were doing the missionary work, and her heart was to be a missionary, and God fulfilled that promise to her by today making her the greatest missionary, uh, a, a, a prophet, if you will, of hope uh, that we are familiar with. Yeah, and she does this by being love in the heart of the church, because love goes through the heart, and the heart pumps it out to the rest of the body of Christ, right? So by loving in your little moments, if you're homebound or you're confined in any way, you can love where you're at. And that love, one ounce, St. John the Cross tells us, one ounce of pure love is worth more than years and years of all these other works. So it's the love that matters. Going back to the Holy Father's statement, this is of vital importance, he says, in our world, which is so disoriented. Because when his flame, and of course he's referring to our Lord, when his flame is extinguished, all the other lights also end by losing their vigor. Christ is present in your brotherhood, in the communal liturgy, and in the ministry entrusted to you. He's talking to each one of us now very personally. Renew to him the homage of your whole life. Give Christ your whole life is what the Holy Father is saying. Mm -hmm. He's calling us back to a sense of mission, which is nothing more than the fulfillment of our individual vocations in life. Whatever our call uh, in life might be. Again, as we said, father, brother, um, um, maybe it's as a single person, maybe it's as a as a lawyer, teacher, what have you. Whatever it is that we've been called to, that is our vocation and it is our mission. It must be fed through prayer, it must be built on through community with believers, and then we have to be, be called out. Prayer, he said, is the royal road that opens to the profundity of the mystery of God one and triune, but it is also the obligatory path that meanders in the midst of the people of God, pilgrimaging in the world towards the promised land. And he quotes that from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, actually. Yeah, that, that is a great, I think, um, statement of purpose for us beginning in prayer, but he says the obligatory path, which meanders. It's not a perfect path. We said this a moment ago, Francis, in our conversation. It's not that I know what I'm going to be doing next week and next month. You know, this is part of our call to faith, right? We do meander a little bit. But then he goes on to say something very powerful in this this letter that I don't want us to miss. Oh, he says, the spirit of the world is an enemy of the life of prayer. Never forget it. So I'm going to repeat it for us. He says never forget it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, He says never forget it. So yeah, I'm going to repeat it though. The spirit of the world is an enemy of the life of prayer. Never forget it. I exhort you to a more austere and penitent life according to your most authentic tradition. He's, He's speaking to our Carmelites. But to all of us, a life far from all worldliness, far from the criteria of the world. You know, when we're free of the criteria of the world, we're at peace. Uh, and, and we can have that joy of Christ. So, you know, we don't have to um, 
we should not be trying to uh, live up to the world. We should just be having our our measure be the measure of Christ, which is love. Yeah, he he goes on in this theme of penitence and austerity, and of course. There probably has not been a pope in our lifetime who's lived this out. Of course, we've had great popes, wonderful popes, great uh, men of faith and of hope and of prayer, uh, contemplatives themselves. But the Holy Father is expressing, I think, in this time, something very profound. He has been very critical of the financial infrastructure across the globe. And he's been uh, very adamant about his... Um, a criticism um, that that um, you know this uh, current way that we have in managing uh, the capital markets and the distribution of wealth and and how we care for the poor um, is simply inadequate to the needs of the world and of course i don 't want to get into an economic debate about capitalism and its its uh, just causes in the world, but the point is he 's saying we 've somehow got this out of kilter. Um, and we've got to be called back to the simplicity of the gospel as regards this particular aspect of how we manage society. And something's wrong with it, he says. We have to look uh, not only to a penitential life, and again, he is speaking to Carmel, but arguably, as Francis said, uh, we all have to lend an ear to what the Holy Father is saying in this regard, and to a life of austerity, he says. Mm-hmm. We have to begin to look at ourselves, and as you mentioned, Francis, the need to find freedom in detachment from so much of what our modern life has become. Yeah, it's a spirit of poverty. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a recognition, not just on a material level. That's, a, I think, a, that's a, a very basic understanding. That's a basic understanding. But, but more importantly, I think, is that spiritual poverty. Right. Because then, no matter whether you're in wealth or out of wealth, uh, you're not attached. And so you're free. You're free to be um, God's instrument uh, more so than someone who is attached to th- things. The Holy Father goes on and says, Our world is fractured today in so many ways. Rather, he says, the contemplative unites, mm-hmm. powerful, powerfully builds on this call to unity. Yes. That's the contemplative experience brought into the world. It's one of unity. And again, this is why I think he's become uh, both very open uh, in terms of his acceptance of the inevitable uh, uh, reality of sin in our world and the consequences of it, he said, let's not focus as much. This is very uh, uh, relevant to his most recent interview that uh, was released in a number of journals. He says, the church's teaching is clear. We don't need to reiterate that every day. What we need to start emphasizing is this idea of mercy, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of love um, that, that, of course, is central to the gospel. But that must stem from this life of prayer. We have to be transformed ourselves internally in order to be able to offer something uh, to the world. And he says, offer to the people today in your preaching and mission this witness of your contemplative experience. Yes. That's what he's saying. Back to our analogy of Mary, Francis. Which which is basically pondering the law of the Lord day and night. Like Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And just think of her at the foot of the cross, that prayer of standing 
looking at Christ and the the dignity, the love, the sacrifice, the pain, the offering that she was experiencing. You know, when we think and ponder that, not just, you know, read about it, but to really, you know, get into it. And, you know, what does that feel like? What What's happening to her? How can she be so strong? Uh, because she's such an open conduit of God's grace and, and God's purpose, his plan for us. She's so totally committed to thy will be done. <laughs> and ask the Blessed Mother in this prayer, in this experience that Francis is, is referring to, to reintroduce you to her spouse, the Holy Spirit. Yes. Because it is the Holy Spirit that guides us and matures us and develops us in our interior life. You know, the Holy Father says, the gospel message today is not always accepted. And in fact, sometimes it's rejected violently. We've seen that in mm-hmm. Kenya in the last couple of days. Oh, the effort there, of course, was to target uh, Christians and foreigners. Uh, we must never forget, the Holy Father says, even if thrown into the murky and unknown waters, that the one who gives us mission also gives us the courage to endure. Yes. Regain your contemplative life and the simplicity and austerity of the gospel. Yes. This is our Holy Father writing in very uh, direct terms to the Carmelite community, and of course I, I speak now to the Carmelite community because if you haven't had benefit of reading uh, this letter, I strongly encourage you to find a way to get a hold of it. If you're in community, they should be sharing it. If you're uh, not, then perhaps on the internet, but uh, find some way to go get a hold of this letter. Francis and I, of course, are not covering all of it, but this is our Holy Father writing directly to our order, and I would say, Francis, in a very uh, a clear way, writing to the secular community, because that's we are those uh, uh, people who do live in the world every day, as he's saying. And his message is, be prophets of hope. Yeah. Take your contemplative experience, nourish it in community, and become prophets of, of hope in a world that is fractured, is disoriented, may even violently respond to the message of the gospel, right. but would never violently respond to a message of hope, to one of compassion, to one of kindness, to one of acceptance. That's what he's calling us to. That's what the Holy Father, I, I think in a very profound way, um, is, is sort of reorienting the church in the world today, not in any way diminishing either the power of the gospel or the doctrine of the church or the dogma of the church. In no way is he is he tampering with that. He's simply saying, let's find a more creative way to, to communicate that message. Right, and I love how he says at the end of his letter, he said, Dear Brothers of Carmel, because he's, he's addressing our friars there, uh, the witness of your love and your hope radiating from your deep friendship with the living God can reach like a gentle breeze, and I'm thinking of the Elijah experience, can reach like a gentle breeze, renewing and reawakening your ecclesial mission in today's world. To this you have been called. And so I, I and he says, may our blessed Virgin Mary, Mother and Queen of Carmel, ex- accompany your steps and make fruitful your daily journey towards the mountain of God. I just love that. Thank you for that prayer. Well, we know like um, um, John Paul II, of course, this Pope, uh, Pope Francis, has a great devotion to our mother, to our Blessed Mother. And of course, we've said it before, he'll be consecrating um, the entire world to our, our Blessed Mother here in October, and we look forward to that. Yes. Well, Francis, it's been another great conversation. I appreciate having had this opportunity. Uh, one last thing that the uh, Holy Father says in that letter uh, is he references the champions and the models that we can look to uh, in our own community. Of course, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross yes. uh, and Blessed Titus Brent 
Ransma, who is actually a uh, 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 of the ancient observance, yeah. but nonetheless a, a martyr of the Second World War, which we talked mm. about a little bit earlier. A great saint. And a great saint uh, for Carmel, of course, a blessed, but but nonetheless a great model mm. ah, for Maybe that's for being Carmel. prophetic there. <laughs> Soon to be named, Hope. <laughs> well, would you take us out uh, this uh, week again in prayer, Francis? Thank you very much for for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Likewise, I just so enjoy being here with you, Mark, and sharing. Uh, this prayer is taken from the concluding paragraph of the letter from Father um, De Bastiani. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm tweaking it just a little so that it is applicable to us. In the name of the Father, and then the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. May we be prompted to advance on the path of friendship and union with Christ in fraternal communion, in truth, humility, and love of neighbor. May these experiences help us to grow as people, as Christians, and as Theresian Carmelites. May they be lived with faith, for faith commits every one of us to become a living sign of the presence of the risen Lord in the world. May Our Lady of Mount Carmel, our mother and sister, intercede for us and teach us to do what Jesus teaches us to do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got uh, one more week, Francis, and then we'll be entering what uh, many in Carmel consider to be our month, the month of October. We'll have a couple of uh, of great feasts days in the month of October, which we're looking forward to. Uh, so as we uh, close uh, today, we want to just say uh, look forward to uh, uh, some future programming around uh, both uh, uh, what we know will be a blessed month for us in October as Carmelites and looking forward to the consecration uh, the Holy Father's consecration of the world to uh, the Immaculate Heart of our uh, of our Blessed Mother. And we'll be with you again next week. Until then, blessings upon you and a reminder you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.